Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. everyone. Um, so yes, I am a little new around here. Some of you are like, probably, who is this guy coming up here this morning? Um, so to start this morning, I just want to give you a little information about my family, kind of how we ended up here at Restoration. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, so you've probably seen myself, my wife, and our son, Kaysen, in the back around the last few months since January. Um, you know, we're from Texas. Anybody from Texas in here? Any? That's okay, because we don't claim Texas anymore. We, we are fully converted Kentuckians at this point. We are not those prideful Texans um, anymore. Um, but I'm from a tiny little town in West Texas uh, called Sundown, Texas. That should tell you all needs, you need to know about what we do in Sundown, Texas. We watch the sun go down because that's all there is to do. Uh, my high school class was 32 students, small town. I mean, I knew the kids from kindergarten all the way through. Um, our mascot was a roughneck. Anybody know what a roughneck is? An oil field worker. So I grew up in oil field country. Um, but eventually we moved uh, to Kentucky. My wife's from Amarillo. I came up here to go to seminary. Um, at Asbury. Um, I was a youth pastor back in Texas for about four years before we came up here um, and went to seminary, um, just finished. Uh, I was the the youth and family pastor at Winchester First Methodist and uh, First Fire Trinity United Methodist Church in Winchester uh, up until December. Um, So that, that probably gives you some questions of how does a recent seminary graduate and former pastor Uh, end up coming to church here. That's kind of backwards, right? You go to seminary, you move on to bigger and better things. You don't leave ministry. Well, um, that was not quite the story for my life this past year. Um, I had been on staff at a church for eight years. I started my first ministry job one month after graduating high school. And then all the way through, up until now, I'm 27, Up until December, I have always been on staff working in ministry. And uh, it wasn't until my wife got pregnant last year that I realized some very important things. You know, you're having a baby, you start thinking about life a little bit differently. Um, And I had spent much of my ministry career just trying to please other people, to be the pastor they wanted me to be. Um, Because I started so young that... There was all these dreams and things. People told me, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And so I said, okay, that, that must be what I need to do. And it got to the point uh, where I realized last year, I was doing ministry to try to fulfill other people's callings on my life, not God's calling on my life. And so I took a step back. Um, I, even though I finished seminary, I recently just took a job. I've been teaching this past year, seventh grade uh, Bible at LCA here in Lexington. Uh, wanted, I love teaching and I love preaching. Um, but I needed to take a step back from ministry. And that's how I wandered into here this past January. Um, and I have, this is, the first Sunday I was here was the first Sunday 
I had ever been able to just choose to go to church somewhere since I was 18. Um, and we've stayed here, and I've, I've loved it here. I felt free to be myself, free to question, free to explore, free to be and just not feel the pressure to do. And now uh, I'm excited to once again be able to preach and, and share and to, to participate in what's going on here at this church because I think there's a lot of beauty that I've seen. So I'm, a, I'm excited to be up here today. I was telling my wife this morning, you know, the last time I preached was she was going into labor, literally uh, back in October. So this is the first time since having a child that I, I get to preach. So I'm really excited uh, this morning. Uh, so let's pray together before we jump in. God, we come before you today knowing that you're here, you're present, you're present in your word, you're present through the scripture. And as you speak to us today, open our ears, open our minds, open our thoughts, convict us, challenge us, that we might better serve you and your kingdom. Amen. All right, so here's a little question. How many of you in your families have that one movie that all of you just can quote? Like, like, it doesn't matter if you're at Thanksgiving dinner and someone says a quote from this movie, suddenly the whole movie gets quoted in a matter of, you know, five minutes. I think we all have some of those movies. Usually they're comedies. Um, and for my family, some of you may have seen this movie, some of you may have not, it is one of Will Ferrell's greatest movies, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. All right? So if you've never seen this movie, all right, it combines... Southern stereotypes, NASCAR, and just the most ridiculous comedy you could probably imagine. My family loved NASCAR. My dad would sit down in his recliner and watch NASCAR practice, not NASCAR races. I mean, watch people go around the track and they're just timing individual cars and he would spend all day doing that. I don't know how, but it was a perfect movie for us. So there's this scene in this movie that is quite popular where the family sits down to have a delicious meal, all right? And it's not a normal meal. It's a, it's a feast of some of the greatest foods of Taco Bell, Domino's Pizza, and mountains of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And they're very proud of this meal. And as they sit down to eat, you know, if you're from the South, it's kind of just common practice. We have to bless the food. Even in my family that doesn't really go to church, if it's Thanksgiving, um, they look to me and they're like, you gonna bless the food? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, it's one of the most interesting prayers uh, you'll probably ever see. And I've been in youth ministry for about eight years and I've heard some weird prayers from kids. This takes the cake. Everyone joins in this prayer and they begin this debate. In the middle of the prayer, everyone stops and is like debating how they like to picture Jesus. Will Ferrell's character says he likes baby Jesus best, all right? Christmas Jesus. One of his kids says, well, I think I like Jesus as a ninja, fighting off evil samurai. His best friend then says, you know, I think I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt, you know? Why not? And I can't believe I'm even using this as an example today, um, but there's, there's something interesting here that I think applies across the board, whether we realize it or not. No, um, we probably don't picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. That's very weird. I'm not gonna do that. But we, we do easily create our own images of who God is to satisfy maybe the picture of God that best suits our own needs. 
And it's really easy to do. We get caught up in our own agendas, our own beliefs, our own opinions. And before we know it, Jesus looks more like us than who Jesus actually is. All right? So what I want to do today is as we look at Acts chapter 17, and this question should be on the screen. I want you to think about this question. Is the God that I claim to worship the God who truly is? Is the God I claim to worship the God who truly is? Not that we don't know God, but sometimes the images of God we have might get a little twisted. So I do want to read this passage together because I think we need the full picture of what Paul is going through in his experience here. So let's read Acts 17, 16 to 31 together. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who'd happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. We know that this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. Down to verse 22, he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what... I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So a little long of a passage, um, but there is a lot going on in Paul's experience here. So let's, let's take a look and kind of explore Paul's experience in the city. Paul has just arrived in the city of Athens. He's been on his second missionary journey that we assume he traveled from the very top of modern day Greece down to the bottom. Um, and what's really cool is why I picked this passage is 
in 2016, my wife and I actually got to travel this route and go to Greece and go to Athens and see all these places. And as Paul is on this journey of preaching the gospel in Athens, um, he arrives and finds something very distressing. It says in verse 16, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. See, Athens was this very important city, both politically, it was a huge center of trade, of all kinds, I mean, it was an important city today, but it was still an important city then. But not only that, it was a huge religious center. And Paul says the city is full of idols. Literally, the streets were filled with statues, sculptures of the many different gods that people claimed to worship. One commentator said, from an aesthetic standpoint, Athens is unrivaled. It was this great architectural city full of these statues. So when Paul steps into the city, he's not just stating that people are worshiping false gods. He's literally saying in every nook and cranny of this city, there's some idolatrous projection of who God is to these people. And what is Paul's response to this rampant idolatry? Well, he preaches the gospel. That's a pretty good response. And he preaches not just Christ, but the true image of God. And he stirs up some trouble in doing this in, in typical Paul fashion. Anywhere Paul goes, he stirs up some trouble, and that's what he likes to do. And so the, the so-called philosophical leaders, the people who had it all figured out in Athens of who these gods were, who, the, who God was, began to debate with him and challenge him and asked him, what, what is this, this God that you are presenting to our people? So they invite him to a meeting. It's called the Meeting of the Areopagus, which um, I'm going to have a, script, a picture put on the screen just to kind of explain a few things. Um, the word Areopagus refers to two separate things, all right? A location, that would be the location that we call today Mars Hill in Athens. Um, when we got to go to the city, we got to stand on top of that rock. That's Mars Hill. You can see the whole city, all right? So, and there's also a reference to a judicial council. So in terms of location, we, we have this hill, and this is considered the spot where this group of people, this council, began to meet. And now, now there's debate whether actually Paul went on top of the hill or that they met somewhere else. But for the sake of what we're talking about today, I want us to picture Paul on top of that hill. As Paul stands up and is given the floor to speak and to present the true image of God, they were out looking the whole city. They could see the idolatrous state. They could see the idols laying everywhere. And Paul is given the floor to speak, to present a message. And what is Paul's message? Well, he says, for one, you might be very highly religious, but you don't really know God at all, all right? He tells them, you're very religious, but you're ignorant. You think you know who God is, but you don't. And I think that we can kind of relate to that. He says, you cannot create God, all right? In missing the mark on who, thinking who God was, they decided to create their own gods to serve their own needs. Your life comes from God. You can't create God. You have it backwards. Your life comes from God. And the people of Athens had confused their roles of creator and created. And Paul ends his message by basically saying, let me tell you who God really is, all right? 
So he preaches the gospel. He preaches the resurrected Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that we see who God is. And people come to believe in Christ as a result. People in this meeting, these philosophers who thought they had it all figured out, come to believe in the resurrected Jesus. They repent of their false worship. The, the God they thought was, was not actually. Now, what does Paul's experience in Athens have to do with us today? Well, here's the reality we need to confront, all right? The church today looks much more like this religiously idolatrous city rather than the image of Christ. I'll say that again. The church today looks more like the religiously idolatrous city of Athens than the image of Christ. We've gotten things confused. We've replaced the image of God revealed in Jesus with our own false projections of who God is. And much like these people, we've become very religious in our worship of these projections, but very ignorant of the gospel who God really is. We've created images of God that meet our needs rather than the needs of the kingdom. And the result is a church that becomes very splintered and broken because we're all clinging to the thing we say is God, but really isn't. So what I want us to do now is ask two questions. What and how? What, what do we got to do about this? Because we have to do something about this. We can't ignore it. How do we deal with these images that have hijacked the true image of God. First and foremost, we have to name and put to death our idolatrous projections of God. We have to name them and put them to death. For us to deal with these images of God that we've created within the church that we're calling God but aren't, we have to name them. Now, to think about this a little bit, I want to use an example of a type of joke we might all be familiar with. Jokes that go like, you might be from blank if you're from blank. Anyone ever heard those jokes? You might be from blank, from blank. For example, let's from Kentucky stuff in general. If you pronounce the city Louisville and not Louisville like we did when we first moved here, you might be from Kentucky. If you actually know what the capital of Kentucky is, you might be from Kentucky. I had no idea it was Frankfurt when we came here. It's not a very big city. If you know the grass is actually not blue, you might be from Kentucky. This one tripped me up when we moved here. If you tell people what county you're from, instead of a town, you might be from Kentucky. Now, I wanna apply something similar here in identifying our idols. If you use your political beliefs to justify how you see God, you might have an idol on your hands. If you use your own image of God as a means to condemn other people, you probably have an idol on your hands. If you say you worship God, yet choose to ignore the needs of your neighbor, you might have an idol on your hands. If the God you believe in looks more like a white American patriot, you might have an idol on your hands. If your image of God looks more like you than Jesus, we might have idols on our hands. I say we because I, I, I'm here too. I mean, the list could go on. The point is we gotta do some self-evaluation. Individually, as churches, we've gotta ask ourselves, is that who God is really at all? It's not enough to simply name them either. I mean, pointing weeds out in your yard does not get rid of them. We have to put them to death. 
Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature. We need to replace these images with the true image of God, which leads to the next thing to consider is that we have to remember and rediscover who God actually is. We have to remember and rediscover who God actually is. We've just sometimes simply forgotten. I mean, I forget who God is all the time. I get so caught up in this machine that we've created that we call the church that we inadvertently forget the identity of God, the God who first called our name way back when. We've gotten caught up in so many useless arguments and divisions that we've surrendered God's identity in exchange for our selfish desires to be right. We love to argue, and we love to argue the God that best fits our needs. We need to allow ourselves to meet God afresh again and rediscover who God was and has been and always will be. We need to rediscover God apart from our political beliefs, apart from our preconceived notions of who we want God to be, and apart from everyone around us telling us what God should look like. We need to rediscover who God is by looking to the person who reveals him best, his son, Jesus. Prominent pastor and writer Brian Zahn, which I know Justin quotes quite a bit. We, We have a shared love for this writer. Jesus is what God has to say. That's what he writes several in several of his articles. Jesus is what God has to say. Meaning the more we look to the person of Jesus, the more we actually see who God is. When we look at the character of Jesus, we see the identity of God. When we read the gospels and observe the life and ministry of Christ, we see who God really is. The more we seek Jesus in the church, rather than trying to win these pointless arguments, the more we rediscover and understand who God is, the more we steep our lives in the narrative of Scripture rather than the broken narrative of our culture, the more we can rediscover and understand who God is. But it's not just enough to know who God is. This leads to the last thing. We have to embody the true image of God because the more we've warped and twisted God's image into these different versions the more we've also portrayed an image of God to the world that is false, especially to those outside of the church. And for us to deal with these idols, we have to realize it's not enough to acknowledge that we've twisted the image. It's not enough for us to simply remember and discover who God is. The church was never called to just simply write belief, but write action. We have to embody the character and nature of God revealed in the image of God. Of Christ, because not only do our idolatrous images of God need to be replaced, but the actions that accompany them. In place of hate, we have to embody love. In place of condemnation, we have to embody grace. In place of division, we have to embody unity. In place of selfishness, we have to embody humility. And in place of greed, we need to embody generosity. Because those are the things that Jesus is, and those are the things that God is. So as we name our idols, we put them to death, as we remember and rediscover who God actually is through his son, Jesus, we also have to actively allow ourselves to be formed into the image of God. So as I move to a close this morning, and Hannah can go ahead and come up this morning, I want us to think about the question I began with. All right, 
Is the God I claim to worship the God who truly is? I want you to sit with that today. I want you to do some reflection and ask yourself, do you know who God really is? And if you find that you have some idols on your hands, claiming to be God, taking up space, name them, put them to death. Remember and rediscover who God actually is, not who we want him to be or who everyone says he is, but who he actually is. And in doing that, embody the true image of God. It's not easy work to name our idols, but it is necessary. So as we respond this morning, let's pray together. God, we have idols in our midst. God, just like when Paul walked into the city of Athens and looked around him and saw all the statues, saw all the images of God, God, we so have the same thing in our churches, in our lives. So many things claiming to be you, but actually are not. So as we come before you today, help us to name and see those idols for what they are. To rediscover and know who you are and embody that image to the world around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in response to what we've heard this morning, we're going to prepare to enter to communion and into the table. And as you prepare to come and receive this morning, I want us to come knowing some important things. That this meal points to the very thing we've talked about this morning. This meal points us to who God actually is. Because in taking the bread and remembering and rediscovering who God is through this meal, we remember and rediscover that God loves us unconditionally that God has boundless grace. We remember and rediscover a God who's not afraid to suffer with us and for us. So as you respond this morning, lay down those idols and embrace the God who was then and who still